Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. To replace her decomposing skin, he used a paper mache substance, a cloth soaked in like a plaster of Paris and wax. From the hair that remained, he fashioned a wig. <laughs> Arts and crafts. We've talked about it before. <laughs> Don't you can't judge a man's hobby. <laughs> but I can. <laughs> and I do. Alright, Duncan. Yo, hit me. This episode was suggested by Luke and also. Zainab from Instagram. Zainab? Z-A-I-N-A-B. This episode is about unique, weird, and exceptional people in history. Ooh, I'm for it. Okay. Have you ever heard of the insatiable Tarar? No. And just to be clear, I know that's not exactly how it's pronounced. I googled the pronunciation. I played it like three times. I'm really not any closer to getting it. It's a French word. They sounded more like ta-da, like ta-da. Ta-ra. Ta-da. Hmm. But I'm going to say Terrar. So Terrar was born in 18th century France. Yeah. In the year 1772, to be specific. But that's as specific as I can get because no one knows his exact birth date. Because 1772. Yeah, but also his circumstances. No one even knows his full name or whether Terrar was a nickname. So he was poor and hungry and made uh, something out of himself. Hungry is an understatement. Insatiable might have been a better statement. You might say insatiable. <laughs> it is likely that he suffered from a disease called Prader-Willi syndrome. Oh, is this the thing where it's in the in the back part of the brain thing? It releases hormones that say you're done eating. Any right. damage to that? Right. So it usually yeah. shows up around two years of age. It results in an unquenchable appetite. Right. It sounds pretty horrible. It is. You to can experience. eat yourself to death in a sitting. The inability to feel full is medically known as hyperphagia or polyphagia. Mm. But weirdly, people with this syndrome typically become obese. Right. I mean, I guess that's not weird. What's weird is that Terrer did not. Mm. There's been speculation that maybe he had like a tapeworm or something. Some uh, other parasite that helped this. Okay. Yeah. I've always wondered if a tapeworm is eating inside you, is it also defecating inside you? Yes, but... You defecate its defecation, so you don't notice. It's already in your tract of, of waste disposal. It's like the internal human centipede. It's more like somebody couch surfing at your house. They're like, yeah, they're shitting in the same toilet. They're not adding toilets. It's like one worm, one cup. Ew. Thanks for that, though. <laughs> so Terrar and his tapeworm never got fat, for whatever reason. Mm. Throughout his life, he was reportedly slight and almost bony, but with a loose-hanging belly flap that would distend and stretch as he ate massive quantities of food. Mm. Sexy. So a ladies' man. Got it. He clearly had an incredibly high metabolism because he was always sweating and emitting a foul odor. So as you can imagine, there are not a lot of jobs available to you when you're a stinky, sweaty, weird-looking dude who has to eat his own body weight and food every day. <laughs> I was trying to imagine the job posting. It's like, must have intense body odor, must have distendable stomach flap. Or at least all of those things are acceptable. Right. Like, must be able to type 60 words per minute. Stomach flap. Optional. We need things typed really badly. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so naturally, he became a carny. Right. He traveled the country with a freak show. 
Throughout his life, he was reported to have swallowed whole apples, stones, corks, live animals like live eels, and cutlery. Ouch. Yeah. Obviously, he wasn't digesting all of this. So, yeah. presumably, the man had some truly horror show bowel movements. Or he wasn't actually eating. Okay. Yeah. I'm just having a lot of trouble with this story in terms of, like, this didn't happen. People were dumb back in the day. Well, the mythology here is very difficult to sort from the truth. Right. But while there doesn't seem to be any question as to whether this guy was real and had a genuine disorder, I'm sure some of it was embellished. Yeah. But it's pretty clear that he ate a lot of weird shit. And there are people who have disorders where they want to eat, like, wallpaper and just, like, weird things around the house. Yeah. I can't remember the name for it, but that's a psychological issue. Yeah. Yeah, and there are people who eat hair. Pika. Pika, yeah, they eat, like, hair, metal shavings. There's a movie out now uh, about a woman who is, like, a stay-at-home mom or wife who who has pika, essentially. Oh, good. I've been looking for a movie to not watch. I feel no urge to watch it either. So pretty much every reputable source claims that he was also briefly employed by the military in an attempt to use his ability to swallow inanimate objects to smuggle documents across borders. It didn't work. I was going to say, would he process these things? They would pass through him somehow. He was captured by the Prussians because, you know, you're going to notice a greasy, sweaty, stinky dude with a hanging spare tire who's horking down live eels. And documents. He was severely beaten by the Prussians but released. I'm surprised they were willing to... Be near motherfuckers. I'm not touching a sweaty carny. I don't care how many documents are in his belly. There better be a fucking nuclear power plant blueprint in your goddamn stomach, sir. He eventually died of tuberculosis with inflammatory diarrhea. Of course. I'm just shocked he didn't die of inflammatory diarrhea earlier. after yeah. every I feel performance. Like the tuberculosis was just sort of an afterthought. It was like, this has been a long time coming, sir. Right. How many forks did you eat? The mystery of his appetite and eating habits has never been fully answered. I'm personally horrified and fascinated by the other orifice involved in this mystery. The <laughs> unsung hero. <laughs> Who's the real hero here? Seriously. Oh, you poor sphincter. <laughs> I feel like I could ingest a lot of crazy things if I really put my mind to it. Mm. I would just be terrified of the consequences. Yeah. All of us can think 24 to 72 hours out and be like, this is going to come back to haunt me. I worry about a jalapeno. I don't think I can handle a fork. (laughs) Some people who are very familiar with this story are going to be disappointed because I did not go into a lot of the really disturbing details and claims about this guy. You can get those online if you're interested. I'm just kind of squeamish. And honestly, I was about to say, <laughs> but you're squeamish. <laughs> you're not going to get those here. There are other podcasts for that. And honestly, some of it is just, like you said, no way. Like There's something no you read and you're just like, way. Mm-mm, mm-mm. no, no, he didn't eat a live alley cat. Like, what? Podcat would not approve. Agreed. So, yeah, you can get that info somewhere else. But it does appear that he was a real guy who had this real disorder and ate a lot of crazy stuff and had probably a pretty rough life and died horribly. So, fun times. Those of you looking for an uplifting episode, look else place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It gets It's only going to get gooder. <laughs> this one, though, not gross or anything. Okay. Violet Jessop. Mm-hmm. We did an episode on superstition. Okay. 
and we found out that neither you nor I really believe in like good or bad luck. Nope. But the life of Violet Jessup makes me almost reconsider. Is it Jessup? I don't know. J-E-S-S-U-P? O-P. O-P. Yeah, it's Jessup. Depending on how you look at it, she's either the luckiest or the unluckiest person who ever lived. Okay. Let's keep score. All right? Gotcha. As a child, she contracted tuberculosis. Ding. Negative. Unlucky. Eh, lack of luck. It was a severe case, and her parents were told that she most likely wouldn't survive. Okay. But she did. So, lucky. Lucky. When she was 16, her father died, and her mother also fell ill. So we're two to one now. Her mother had been a sea stewardess working as a maid on sailing ships, and Violet was able to save the family by taking over her mom's job. Ding. So we're two for two. Sort of lucky. Yeah. In 1911, Jessup was sailing aboard the ship RMS Olympic when it collided with the HMS Hawk. Ding. Unlucky. (laughs) She survived. Ding. Completely intact. Not a scratch on her. Hmm. Lucky. She was promptly transferred to the HMS Titanic. Mother fucker. (laughs) Ding! Unlucky. (laughs) There's no luck there at all. Jessup survived the sinking of the Titanic. And we're four for four. Four years later, she was hired by the Titanic's sister ship, the HMHS Britannic. Ah. Which also sank. Son of a bitch! (laughs) Five for four. Most researchers believe that the ship struck a deep sea mine. She survived. Ding! We're five for five now, boys and girls. Are you getting the idea here? Yeah. Violet Jessup? Dude, she broke even her entire life. This sounds like she basically just was like, I can do every impossible fucking horrible thing and live through it. It's crazy. Yeah. She lived to be 83 years old. Jeebus. So I don't believe in luck or curses yeah but like looking back in history at sinking ships you have to ask yourself what's the common denominator everyone's mad at that iceberg and that deep sea mine but i think we're overlooking jessup the obvious connection here violet jessup was a human iceberg she basically was just like i'm the least lucky creature you can take anywhere and bad things will search me out i'll be fine she'll be fine right she will survive all of the bad things just don't take her to your wedding. She's the cockroach that somehow caused the nuclear disaster and survived the nuclear disaster. I won't go with cause, but definitely is is part of the reason why that thermonuclear disaster found you. Yeah. Russia back in the day was like, sorry, Germany. We'll be like, will we be bombing London or Edinburgh? Hmm, where's Jessup? Edinburgh. Every ship should say, where's Jessup? Yeah. Yeah, everything ready? We got everything tied off? We're good to go? Wait a minute. Where's Jessup? Is she... She's not good. Okay. (laughs) Chump, 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 chump. And off they go. That's the question that we all have to ask ourselves. We're going to come out with bumper stickers. Midnight facts from (laughs) Somniac's bumper stickers that say, where's Jessup? Check your Jessup. Check your Jessup (laughs) before you untie and cast off. Yes, indeed. Have you ever heard of Nellie Bly? Bly. Is she cousin to Captain? Unrelated. Gotcha. She was, though, kind of a badass. Okay. Her actual name, or the iteration of her name that she went by, was Elizabeth Cochran Seaman, uh, mm. spelled like the guys from the Navy, not the other thing. Yeah. 
She was born in Pittsburgh in 1864. Her original name actually was Elizabeth Jane Cochran. It's all very confusing. Gotcha. In 1880, when Elizabeth was 16, a local newspaper ran a column titled, What Girls Are Good For? And since this was the 1800s, I'm sure you can guess that it was a feminist article empowering women by affirming that they are just as capable and intelligent as men and can do whatever they set their minds to. Indeed. Or naked and barefoot in the kitchen. Yeah. So it was sexist AF. Yeah. Yeah. Women are good for breeding and keeping house, the standard line. Gotcha. Elizabeth wrote a response to the newspaper under the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl. And it was apparently so well-written and professional that the paper published an article asking her to identify herself and offering her a job. Hmm. Kind of sounds like a trap. I was going to say, <laughs> it's a trap! <laughs> but it wasn't. It and wasn't. she okay. accepted. Right. Uh, at the time, standard practice was for the editor of the newspaper to assign a pen name to female authors. And her editor chose the name Nellie Bly, which was uh, an African-American character from a song. Fair enough. She immediately began writing exposés on local factories and the condition that women faced in dangerous and menial jobs, mm. which, as you can imagine, went over really well with the powers that be. I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm sure this was a really famous column and everyone was really happy about it and they sang her praises the world over. Yeah, she was reassigned to fluff pieces, mostly following fashion. At 21, she got fed up and became a foreign correspondent. Eventually, she wound up in New York, working for the New York World magazine. At the time, female hysteria was still a big thing. <sighs> Women were being diagnosed with all kinds of mystery ailments and frequently locked up in abusive sanitariums. Right. She decided to go undercover, faking insanity in order to get committed to one of the most notorious institutions, the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell Island. Wow. That sounds more like a horror movie title than any horror movie title Seriously. has ever titled. Like, no, your stepmom will be fine. She's just going to spend six weeks on Blackwell Island. Yeah. She'll come back fine. And what could go wrong? What the fuck? So she practiced demented facial expressions. She mm -hmm. forced herself to go as long as she could without sleep, inducing basically a state of delirium and trying as hard as she could to look haggard and crazy. Basically, three days of quarantine. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know three days of quarantine or three months she was first sent to a kind of a halfway house yeah and then she had to like escalate her game just like ranting and accusing everyone around her of being insane finally she was sent to blackwell island as soon as she arrived she dropped the pretense of insanity but the staff still treated her as if she were insane right in fact, they even used the fact that she claimed to be sane as evidence that she was crazy. It's the definition of Catch-22. I was going to say. It was worse than she had feared. There were 1,600 patients crammed into a building built for 1,000 with only 16 doctors on staff. Jesus. That is, let's do the math here, boys and girls, 100 patients per doctor. And that's if they all worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right. Patients endured ice-cold baths that consisted of dirty, frigid water being poured over their heads. They were tied together with ropes. They were forced to sit straight-backed on benches for hours at a time. They were fed spoiled meat, moldy bread, and contaminated water. Yeah. This is, I mean, let's be honest, damn near the same conditions as Auschwitz or any other fucking concentration camp. Yeah. Worst of all, according to Elizabeth, many of the inmates weren't crazy. 
And instead, they were just immigrants and poor women who had been imprisoned against their will to just get them off the streets. Yeah. Here's an excerpt of a quote from Nellie Bly. Quote, take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up and make her sit from 6 a.m. until 8 p.m. on straight back benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during these hours. Give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months would make her a mental and physical wreck. Which is, again, a very sane statement from someone who pretended to be crazy. After 10 days, the newspaper was able to secure her release. She subsequently published her expose, 10 Days in a Madhouse, which was an instant sensation and led to massive reforms in the mental health system. Did it really? It also helped establish the entire field of investigative journalism. Wow. If any of this sounds familiar, by the way, it may be because American Horror Story based one of their seasons on Nellie Bly. Really? Okay. Yeah, American Horror Story Asylum. Okay. I actually enjoyed that season. It's not anything like what happened. There were no aliens involved in the real story, but it's fun (laughs) television. Bly remained in the spotlight. At one point, she reenacted the Jules Verne novel Around the World in 80 Days. Really? Did she actually make it in that time frame? She accomplished it in 72 days, traveling mostly alone and reporting her adventures throughout. She was also an inventor with a number of patents to her name, including a self-stacking garbage can and a unique type of milk canister. Which was? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) But that's pretty cool. I have zero patents to my name. None. Zero patents myself. So far. Yeah. If you could... Patent sarcasm. <laughs> Which I believe there are several other comedians who have you cornered. Damn it. Yeah. So she was a truly fascinating woman. Yeah, fuck me. Also, when she was 31, she married a 71-year-old millionaire. So, that's so savvy all over. Pretty fascinating, too. <laughs> Either he was slinging some serious dick or she was like, well, you're going to be dead soon because this is the time period we're in. And money is useful. Yeah, it's funny because she didn't. Need money. I don't know why she... I mean, true love, I guess? True love has no age. But it does have an expiration date. (laughs) (laughs) Jeebus creepus. All right. Let's move on to Carl Tanzler. All right. One of history's true romantics. I sense, like a trapdoor spider, the fangs are coming. There's Casanova, and then there's Tanzler. But he's like if you crossed Casanova with uh, Norman Bates. Oh, not Hannibal Lecter. Okay, good. So Norman Bates I can accept, just a little stabby. Tanzler was a German radiologist who Hmm. immigrated to America in the early 1900s and ended up working at a hospital in Key West, Florida, Hmm. where he treated a tuberculosis patient named Elena Milagro de Hoyos. She was a Cuban immigrant who went by the name Helen. Hmm. Why can't anyone in these stories just have a fucking normal name that they stick to. I don't, we haven't had one person yet who doesn't have like five different names. Tanzler became fixated on Elena slash Helen because by all accounts, she was stunning. And at the time she was uh, also alive, which is a big plus. Generally for one's romantic Urges, yes. It's not good to be obsessed with someone, but if you're going to be obsessed with someone, that someone should be alive and not, say, a corpse. It's better. Consider that a preview. Gotcha. Tansler paid her uh, house calls all the time. Mm -hmm. 
tried all manner of medical quackery to try to keep her alive. He was really desperate. Nothing mm. worked. Mm. On October 25th, 1931, Elena passed away. Mm. The family was not wealthy, so they accepted Tanzler's offer to cover the cost of the funeral. And he went all out. She was placed in a custom mausoleum that Tanzler paid to have constructed. He then visited her grave literally every night, often playing Spanish songs on his guitar to keep her entertained. Okay. You know, normal romantic stuff. Yes. What doctor hasn't serenaded the corpse of a deceased patient? All of them. <laughs> Not all. <laughs> all of them save one. <laughs> 18 months later, Tanzler snuck into the cemetery and removed her body, transporting it back to his house on a little wagon. Wait, 18 months later? 18 months later. So, visited every night. Was he wooing her for those 18 <laughs> months? Like, if you're going to be a corpse fucker, dude, just be a corpse fucker. He was waiting for consent. He was a gentleman. <laughs> Son of a bitch. It was a seduction. It was. A, a very, very long and storied seduction. It was, you know, the stuff of romance novels. You're clearly not a romantic. Clearly. <laughs> so Tanzler got busy with the taxidermy. Going all stuffed squirrel on the body. What, you waited 18 months. Is there right. much left of the skin at that point? So he installed glass eyes. Apparently the eyes weren't there. Uh, he strung her skeleton together with a wire frame. Yeah. Very crafty. Gotta admire the handiwork, if nothing else. I mean, that alone took a month. To replace her decomposing skin, he used a papier-mâché substance, a cloth soaked in like a plaster of Paris and wax. From the hair that remained, he fashioned a wig, adding to it over time as she shed more hair. He would then sew it into the wig. <laughs> Arts and crafts. We've talked about it before. <laughs> Don't You can't judge a man's hobby. <laughs> but I can. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> he treated her body like an antique car, just like replacing parts and patching up dents and holes until she was just some kind of plaster cyborg, part artificial, part decomposing organic material. He used perfumes and disinfectants for the smell. Where do you think he kept her? Bedroom. He slept with the corpse. There is some evidence that he probably did more than sleep. He also danced with the corpse in front of his window, which is probably why the word got out and he was confronted at his house by Elena's sister in 1940, nine years after Elena's death. The fuck do I have to say to that? Like, nine years later, your sister shows up to be like, "Hey, dude, so uh, I heard you've been dancing with my sister's corpse." Awkward. Yeah, this is not a conversation. You'd be like, "Yeah, she's fine. She's in here. Come and have a conversation with her." No, I'm not hurting her. Like, that's really the only thing you can. That's the only route you can go, though. You just have to be like, "Oh, did you want to see? Did you?" You, oh. Yeah, just lean into the crazy. <laughs> just be like full-blown, she's fine. Come have a conversation. <laughs> and I'm happy to share. So, threesome? <laughs> you got to go all in. So <laughs> <laughs> Is that even a threesome, though? At that point, it's an inanimate object. I don't even <laughs> think it counts. He was initially charged with, quote, wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. Charges feel a little light to me. I was going to say. That's all he was charged with, and the statute of limitations had expired, so the charges were dropped. Justice served. 
and then apparently removed before anyone had taken a bite. The body, which was by now mostly just a plaster bride of Frankenstein's sex doll, was briefly put on public display. Because I'm sure that's what Elena would have wanted. Because if we can't put this motherfucker in jail or a mental institution, let's at least shame the shit out of him. It was a different time. Yeah. Jeebus, Grievous. Tanzler, meanwhile, was viewed mostly sympathetically by the public. Because, again, what a romantic. It was love that defied death. No, it didn't. Death had its fucking way with her. He just <laughs> refused to accept that shit. Did I mention it was a different time? <laughs> Tanzler died age 75 in 1952. And in his house was discovered a wax replica of Elena's face attached to a life-size model of her body. Romance! That's <laughs> just gross, dude. <laughs> you made a fuck doll. Like, just call it a fuck doll and move on. True love never dies. It just decays a little. It just decays a lot <laughs> until you're replacing it with wax. Who needs a pulse when you have paper mache? And wax. And wax. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to think of all of the candles I might have fucked as a child. <laughs> I never did. Well, let's move on to bestiality. Sweet. I was wondering <laughs> where that was. I was like, we've covered necrophilia. Margaret Howe Lovett was an animal lover. <clears throat> she was an acclaimed researcher and infamous dolphin masturbator. Did she masturbate dolphins? So Margaret grew up in the Caribbean. I hope so. And her childhood dream was to talk to the animals. Mm. In 1963, she found out that there was a secretive dolphin research laboratory close to where she was living on the island of St. Thomas. So one day in her early 20s, she just showed up. Wait, St. Thomas in the Caribbean? Mm-hmm. I've been to that island. Cool. I saw no dolphin masturbation. You were late. <laughs> this was... Long gone. It was a party, bro, and you missed it. <laughs> so, yeah, she just knocked on the door mm. of this laboratory, which is the path followed by most successful scientists. Hello, I heard there was dolphin masturbating. I'm here for the party. Please let me in. Want to become a researcher? Just show up with no training at a government lab and say, hey, you guys need some help curing cancer, whatever? I'm on it. I got you, fam. Turns out bestiality doesn't require a lot of experience. The hell you say. She became a volunteer working in the laboratory of Dr. John Lilly, who was trying to determine if it was possible to create meaningful communication between humans and dolphins. But not cheesy communication like hand gestures or body language or sign language like the Coco the Gorilla bullshit. I've already heard like three jokes. Like meaningful communication, <laughs> got you. Not hand gestures, well that's part of it. <laughs> <laughs> So he believed that dolphins could be taught to speak English through their blowholes. Uh, so this was going to end well. So a quack. Got it. John Lilly put Lovett in charge of talking to the fishes. Mammals. But time passed, and she wasn't making enough headway. Shockingly. <clears throat> don't. Crazy. Yeah, don't. <laughs> I can't. Uh. <laughs> and her explanation was that the problem was that she was going home at night. And abandoning the dolphin. Her solution was to spend 24 hours a day with her favorite dolphin, a young male named Peter. Of course. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I didn't. 
catch that his name you was Peter. You spend all night with Peter, did you? <laughs> <laughs> she had a desk constructed over the tank and her sleeping quarters right next to the water. She said, quote, Peter was very, very interested in my anatomy. Yeah. The dolphin would become aroused, which she said was very inconvenient because it would distract him from his speaking through the blowhole lessons. <laughs> which is nothing they do. It'd be like trying to teach us to speak through our nostrils or through our fucking like esophagus. Like it's like we or other orifices through our lungs. Like it's just we don't speak there or Ace Ventura style. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Cornelio. Anyway. Her solution to this arousal yes. was to manually relieve him. As one does in that situation. She said, I wasn't uncomfortable with it as long as it wasn't rough. It would just become part of what was going on, like an itch. Just get rid of it, scratch it, and move on. Okay. I got nothing to say to that. I mean, I like from her point of view, I get it. We masturbate like bulls and stuff to get the semen to put in cows. They do That's that. That's purpose driven. I guess her argument was that this was purpose driven because so if he got this erection, they would have to like remove him to another tank and wait for it to go away. And then he would come back in. He's still horny. So <laughs> she was like, this is quicker and it takes care of the problem for a longer period of time. And um, it's not the worst thing in the world to give an animal an orgasm. Are you buying this rationale at all? Do I even look <laughs> vaguely? <laughs> I've sat for eight years with various schizophrenics. I can sit there and look like I'm listening and just be like, that's some crazy shit. So you're not you're you're not pro dolphin masturbation. I, I I I honestly one of the things I just kept thinking on repeat while you were having your little rationale sit in, loving, whatever the fuck it was, was did she have a boyfriend at this time? Because I would have just loved to have heard her excuses. I I have a headache and my right well, hand really hurts. Two things. One is you can't have a boyfriend when you've already got a boyfriend. The second. That is categorically untrue. You'd be very jealous. <laughs> the second is that how was she going to have time? She was 24-7 in a tank jerking off a dolphin. Busy or at least above a tank. Remember her desk, desk well, she was, was above it. She wasn't above it when she was Jerking. taking care of business. Right. Jerking I actually, her I got to be honest. I'm kind of okay with this. Don't really care if a woman jerks off a dolphin. If she was like saying that she was in love with the dolphin or fucking its dead corpse, there mm -hmm. are worse things out there. I'm just saying. Yeah. I don't have a problem with it insofar as it goes per se, except for the fact that this, I mean... All right, maybe it's just the age I was raised in, but, like, there's no consent there. This animal thinks you're trying to mate with it and procreate. See, you're not doing I, that. I think him rubbing up against her and then returning for it a bunch of times, I'm just saying I don't see that as, like, rape. Okay. And that was another me just sort of listening to you go while holding my own opinion. And then the second part of it was going to be, and whatever science, quote-unquote, that she was doing was completely destroyed yeah. you're constructing its behavioral patterns to be like so her job is to get me off and then i yeah. go back to doing whatever the fuck i'm doing this is like pavlovian so, jerk off yeah. response you're the happy ending scientist yeah now. it doesn't care that much about the blowhole speaking thing no it cares about what's happening in a different orifice yeah it's basically just like all right before you were patting at my blowhole my lungs 
and trying to expect me to interact with you in some way. And then I figured out you would just jerk me off. And now that's what I'm here to do. On the other hand, if she were to withhold the jerking off and use it as a reward system for the speaking through the blowhole, we might have our first blowhole speaking dolphin. And it would be like, jerk now? Jerk jerk now. Wait, jerk. Wait, jerk. Wait, waiting, jerk. Like, why does it keep saying jerk? Does it not like humans? What's this, what does this all mean? It really likes humans, actually. <laughs> At least one of you. Yeah. On the contrary, it's very friendly. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yes. Hope you don't mind there cloudy are, water. There are definitely worse things you could do as a researcher. For instance... This is right around the time that those same researchers started injecting the dolphins with LSD to determine how different species were affected by psychedelics. Irrespective of trying to figure out their chemistry first, we're just like, we're going to inject this thing. Yeah, it didn't do anything. Yeah. It had zero effect on dolphin chemistry. Yeah. However, I personally think that that is more... A bit more Mengele than what she was doing. Yeah, I think mm. that it's more evil to be potentially sending a dolphin on some bad trip that it didn't even know was going to happen then giving him a little tug job. Yeah, like give him a little after-school special doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't equate with like, hey, you have no mental reference for biting into something and it's sending you on a mental trip. After-school special. <laughs> well, he's in a science lab. I just figured it fit. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> so, so yeah, like, I just, I kind of figure this dolphin, yeah. if it did work, yeah, would just freak the fuck out. Like, yeah. this is how you kill animals. That's, That's why they terrible. die. They have no mental reference for, I'm going to take a drug and freak out now. Like, cats are our closest equivalent. They're like, oh, sweet. I can bat this little plant around and whip out my brain meats and, you know, just go somewhere for, like, five minutes and come back. And cats are already kind of weird. Yeah. Six months into the experiment, funding was cut. The hell you say? I can't imagine why. <laughs> Read their first report and it was like, you're doing what? Researchers later claim that Peter the dolphin, cut off from contact with Margaret, eventually committed suicide. Which is a thing that dolphins can do by just holding their breath and sinking to the bottom of the tank. And it happens when they're Jesus. sad. And, um, yeah, pretty tragic. And yeah. that's on you, asshole chick. Yeah. Yeah. I had to jerk off the dolphin and then just be like, it's for science. Really? So when you go away, she should have jerk off. at least gone and, you know, met him once a week for his conjugal conjugal visit. Conjugal blowhole <laughs> visit. <laughs> so that is exceptional, weird people, whatever we called it. That's a bunch of weirdos. That's holy and, fuck. Um, I only remember one that I was like, God damn, nicely done. Nelly Bly. Nelly, Nelly Bly. Bly was cool. Nelly Bly was awesome. All the rest of those fucking freaks. <laughs> was just like, <laughs> what in the actual fuck were you up to, sir or madam? Violet Jessup, not really her fault either. That one. No, no, not really her fault. So thanks, Luke and uh, Zainab, or Zainab, or um, however I mispronounced it, I do apologize, but cool name. And we appreciate it. That was a fun one. I enjoyed it. It was. It was really fun. And uh, Zinab, or however we pronounce it, get in touch with us at Insomniac's Inbox. Let us know how to pronounce your name. Like, not be idiots. Because we, we love being morons, but we prefer not to be absolute morons. And speaking of which, we have the Insomniac's Inbox at gmail.com is our email address that you can use to send us 
ideas for our new Insomniac's Inbox episodes that will be coming out soon, which are totally based on your feedback. Absolutely. They're fan-based episodes. They are feedback from you. Positive, negative, fix it, fuck it, whatever it is. Let us know. How would you masturbate a dolphin? Honestly, what is what would be your technique? Do you agree with me that dolphins should be masturbated on a regular basis? <laughs> or are you a hater like Duncan <laughs> who thinks dolphins should live in sexual frustration? <laughs> and... Is clearly an animal hater. <laughs> so much. Please do go to our Instagram and add us there. There's a ton of stuff. We still have bonus content. If you go to our Instagram and click on the link there, scroll down to bonus content, it'll take you to After Midnight, our bonus content site. There are some free bonus episodes there and then a bunch of other stuff that you can scroll around. Knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated.